Today, the financially smart way to pass the family cottage down to the next generation. This is the Seven Figures Podcast, smart money strategies for women with Sandy Waters. Our favorite elder law attorney, Lisa Powers from Harris Beach, is here with us again. And every month, if you're new to the Seven Figures podcast, we invite Lisa Powers in on the conversation to educate us on what we need to know, conversations that we need to be having or thinking about now when it comes to planning for our own future helping our parents plan for their future as they get older. So thank you so much for doing this every month. Happy to be here, Sandy. So now when you and I were going back and forth trying to decide on what the focus of today's conversation should be, you mentioned the family cottage, how that in particular you're finding a lot of clients are seeking advice about. Not uncommon in this neck of the woods, right? I mean, we are surrounded by the beautiful Finger Lakes. You've got Lake Ontario. I mean... This is the area, and it is such a hot topic. What do we do to preserve it, and how do we actually keep everyone getting along as we talk about transferring maybe to younger generations or selling one and buying another and perhaps involving our kids in that ownership? And, you know, I deal with it a lot in the long-term care context, you know, not to go too far afield, but... The residence is exempt if you need to apply for Medicaid, but if you have a cottage, that's not protected unless you do something actively to ensure that it can stay within the family. So I get those questions frequently, but this time of year, especially when people are actually using those cottages and getting caught up and making memories with their families, it's so close to the heart. That probably, more than any other asset, can create a lot of drama and emotion. I wish I could say I have a family cottage, but I don't. Do you? Uh, We don't anymore. My parents had a little one on Honeyoy Lake that I grew up going to, but they sold it um, about eight years ago because it was getting to be too much. And I won't lie, it was heartbreaking for me when they made the decision to sell. But realistically, I wasn't in a position to help maintain it. You know, we didn't have the time to go down and cut the lawn and take care of things. And it wasn't fair to ask my parents to just keep it on the off chance that things would calm down in another 10 years or so. And, you know, yeah, so it was a lot for them. Well, when you hear your friends talking about their family cottage, it sounds so awesome. Like, I want a family cottage. Mom, Dad, why did you buy a family cottage? (laughs) So unless you're the one who owns the cottage, you really lose sight of what's involved In having a family cottage. Sure. Yeah. Honestly, the best place to be is the friend who gets invited to go down for the day or a weekend. (laughs) Because you you can find that friend. Yes. You can bring those nice hostess (laughs) gifts or food, whatever it might be. But you don't have any of the headaches that go along with owning literally a second home. I mean, that's, that's the reality. Okay. So mom and dad are getting older. When is the time to have the conversation about, hey, what are we going to do with this? Because it's almost like a conversation that, I don't know, I would feel a lot of kids would feel uncomfortable bringing it up Mm -hmm. because then the parents are going to take it as, why? What do you want? What do you want from me? Are you being greedy? (laughs) Right? In some families, yes. Um, Every family is different, but certainly for those families where perhaps it's already been a family cottage for a generation or two, Those are natural conversations that they have. Everyone's together. But especially with our society now, people being so far flung, we don't all live in the same area and get Mm. together for Sunday dinner. We don't all congregate in one place every summer. Um, So 
I think the time to have the conversation is at any time that you're really talking about what are we doing with our planning and our assets, because it's such an important component of it. Um, but certainly as the, as the owners, whatever age they might be, I think it comes up naturally as they start noticing their own physical limitations and it bec- it's starting to get harder to take care of it. Okay. And if the kids aren't, the adult children aren't there every weekend to help out yeah. or frequently, you start having those conversations about, oh, now we have to hire some help to maintain the yard. We have to hire help to take care of the inside. And it, it can be a drain. So then is a really good time to have that conversation about what are we doing? And if it hasn't already been broached, if the kids haven't come forward and said, you know, we really care, if the parents owe it to themselves to ask them, is this something that you want us to either gift to you, leave to you in our wills, do some planning around? Because while it sounds fabulous that you're going to inherit the family cottage, yeah. there are a lot of things to consider along the way. You know, when do you take the time to say, OK, let me transfer the ownership of this cottage to the kids? When does that discussion happen? That really becomes the decision of the owners. You know, it, are they comfortable right now having a conversation about making a gift during their lifetime? And there are multiple ways that that can be accomplished. I mean, you can certainly do it depending on the value of the property and their personal situation. Um, there are trusts that can be used. And that are some interesting arrangements where you can, um, it's, it's, a, it's called a freeze technique, where you can freeze the value of the cottage based on some interesting calculations that we get from the IRS. Okay. <laughs> but, um, it's called a qualified personal residence trust. And so there are some bells and whistles that need to be followed. That's one way if we're dealing with someone who's worried about the tax implications, the estate tax and gift tax implications. So they still own it. No, they, once you put it in the trust, then you no longer it? own it, but you, that one gets a little complicated. You don't own it. Okay. The trust endures for a term of years. And if you're still living at the end of that term of years, at that point, the cottage becomes your children's and you have the right to rent it back at market rate. Okay. Okay. So, so that one can be a little bit complicated. And if with that one, if you die during the term of the trust, it comes back into your estate and then goes according to your will or whatever other technique you're using to pass. Okay. We're not seeing that used as much. Now more and more families are really looking at it as using the property perhaps for rental income okay. because certainly in New York State and around the Finger Lakes, the property taxes have really shot up. And so it may, might not be an easy um, thing for the kids to take on depending on where they are in Oh, life. to pay the taxes. Right, right. So they suddenly just become owners that's lovely. We've just either inherited or been gifted this property, but can we afford to keep it? Mm. So what we're finding, and this is something where you really need to sit down with an expert who knows the ins and outs of your particular situation and what the plan is, but more and more families really are going towards forming an LLC specifically for the family cottage. So a limited liability company. And some of the benefits of that are that everything is actually spelled out. It's very easy to transfer interests in an LLC. And because you have an operating agreement that you craft, that really lays out a roadmap for how to deal with those issues that come up with owning a property, right? You know, how do you divvy up the property tax payments? Who's responsible for that? Is it equivalent? Do we have a couple different classes of ownership where some people have a, a higher rate of contribution? Who makes decisions when repairs need to be made or improvements, right? Who gets to pick out the color of the new roof if we have to put one on? 
who's this making is the all you listed keep, if it's if you LLC. choose right it's up to you how you choose to document that oh, yeah these are but, a lot of tough questions though <laughs> right if you're sitting yes. in a room with all the rest of your siblings well, and their spouses to come up with the answers to these right. questions well and you bring up a really good point most commonly the spouses the in-laws don't have an ownership interest but you and i both know that with family dynamics just because you don't have an ownership interest doesn't mean that you don't have an opinion. Oh, sure. You <laughs> right? definitely have and, a take. <laughs> and some are more vocal than others yeah, and have yeah. more influence than others. So if you can take the time to really spell things out, and usually these things go in stages, right? So yes, in an ideal world, you would spell everything out up front. And we try yeah. when we're having these conversations with clients to get as detailed as we can be in crafting that agreement, but it at least gives you a baseline. Okay. And you can set things up to say, okay, fine. We might not be making these detailed decisions right now, but we can at least set up the structure for how decisions are made and who, who controls the vote. Now this all happens when mom and dad pass. It can be during lifetime or it can be something that's created out of their wills that then gets formed. So it really does depend on the family comfort. Do they want to do something now? You know, again, in a perfect world, I think it's usually better if everyone can agree while mom and dad are still alive. Yeah, yeah. And and get things set up. Does the title transfer to anybody at this point or does it transfer to the LLC? So if you create an LLC or you create a trust, the title actually gets transferred there. And, And that actually brings up a good point because... Certainly you can do, just like you would do with a house, you could simply transfer ownership and add the kids onto the deed, right? Give the, and there are different methods of taking title, but you can give the kids property ownership right now just by doing a new deed, right? That's the, that's the quick, quote, yeah, easy way. That's the, well, that's the first thing I would think of. Right. But then you have to go beyond that a little bit and say, well, wait a minute. If we just put the kids on the deed, Right. So take a take a common family scenario. Mom and dad both still living. Let's assume they both still have capacity. They have two adult children. We're just going to add them on as equal owners, as tenants in common. Everybody owns an undivided one-fourth interest once we put them on the deed. Mm-hmm. Well, now if something happens to one of those kids, if they die prematurely, that one quarter goes through the adult child's estate. Oh. So you've just now... Yeah. potentially created more of a mess. And and maybe you love your son-in-law or daughter-in-law, but perhaps you don't actually want to own property with them, right? And then just multiply that. I tend to think about the cottages that we're dealing with here in New York State and in our backyard in the Finger Lakes. But what if you own property in another state? That requires what we would call an ancillary probate. You have to go through the court in the other state. So that can create an additional expense and some hurdles to jump through. Right. So simply putting people on a deed or simply leaving the property to them in the will, if you have more than one child, isn't necessarily simple or easy because of the complications that can come up. And then I think it's important to mention this. There are a lot of folks in our area who actually own property out of the country, right? Whether Mm. it's back in the home country or, you know, we're not too far from Canada. A lot of people have cottages up across the border. So If you're dealing with a situation like that, you really need to deal with your family planning attorney here as well as an attorney in the other country. The laws are the laws are different, completely different, right? And you can't assume that what you put in your planning documents here would control 
or even be recognized in a foreign country. Can you think of a scenario, a client Mm -hmm. who is almost like that average client and and paint the picture for us to, to make it more clear of what actions we should take? Sure. So I can give you, you know, a sad story where things worked out, but it's not uncommon. Um, This person was not our client, but there was an older lady who had bought a cottage locally on one of the Finger Lakes and simply left it to her three adult children under her will. Well, none of the three adult children were in the best financial circumstances when mom died. And the first couple years, there was enough money in mom's estate because it hadn't been fully closed out through the surrogates court that they were able to cover the property taxes. Mm. But after that, the property sat there. They kept using it. They paid the utilities, but nobody was paying the property taxes. Oh. So in a panic mode, they end up coming to an attorney who is not the attorney for the estate and saying, oh, my goodness, we're going to lose this property. It means the world to us. What do we do? And, of course, the simple answer is we'll dip into your savings and pay the back property taxes. But none of them had it. None of them were in a situation and none of them could actually get financing. So what ended up happening is that the actual grandchildren, who were barely into adulthood at that point, who did actually have some decent credit, they managed to come together and work out a financing arrangement and pay oh, the back so property they taxes. Stepped up and paid. They stepped up and paid. But if you but think about really it, not the owners. They're they not have the nothing owners. to do with it at this they're point. They're not the owners. They just right? didn't want to lose it from the they family. They just didn't want to oh. lose it from the family. So now they're in this precarious situation of, okay, well, crisis averted for the moment, but now if we really want to keep it in the family, what are we going to do? You know, are, are the grandchildren who have decent credit now going in as owners? And so the, the family's trying to work that out right now, how they're going to do that. But so what is the one thing that you would suggest? There's a family, you have a family cottage. Mm, yep. Today, you right. should do what? Today, if you haven't already had the, first I would say, have the conversation. If you're the, quote, senior generation um, who owns the cottage currently, have the conversation with your adult kids yeah, and their spouses if you actually want them involved. Although I, I think you want as few voices involved <laughs> yeah. initially as possible. It's not the more the merrier in right. this situation. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really good point. Um, have the conversation. Is this something that matters to you? Do you all want to be a part of this? Because if not, then there are ways that you can equalize things, right? Okay, if it's only one adult child or two out of a group who really want to be a part of it, okay, fine, we recognize that, we'll do what we can, and then let's look at the whole picture and see if there's a way we can equalize things. Can we still go out and buy more life insurance, for example, to get cash to the other people so everyone feels as though they've been benefited equally? Uh, Yeah, yeah. And then once you make that decision, then you really need to sit down and have that hard conversation. What's the best way to own Um, And as I mentioned before, we really have come down on the side that forming that LLC is probably going to be the best bet for most families. It sounds like it from what you just described, but I don't think a lot of people would even think of that idea. This is the first I heard of putting a cottage in an, as an LLC. Well, I'm so glad we're talking about it. Yes. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah, it really, um, you know, again, there. For all the reasons that you would think about using a limited liability company for a business, you know, it's it's liability protection. Right. Um, And it gives you that management and that plan for 
how are you going to operate this entity? And it, it gives, it, you really can assign everyone their roles, right? Yeah. So it, that is probably the ideal for most families. Now, that being said, I certainly have done a lot of trusts over the years, and I continue to put family cottages into asset protection trusts when the senior generation who are the owners really can't face that conversation. If, mm. if they're just too overwhelmed, I would say the trust is the, the second best option, right? It's at least a way to protect the asset against long-term care expenses. Um, and at least now if you have one or two people who are in charge of the trust as the trustees, yeah. they can then kind of work with the other siblings to say, look, we know it's in the trust. Eventually the trust is going to terminate most likely when mom and dad pass, have both passed. Um, if it's an asset protection trust, that's usually what happens. We need to come together and figure out what we're going to do going forward. And at that point, the adult siblings could form the LLC, right? So it at least is a way of preserving and making it a little bit easier to pass that asset along. Are there any drawbacks to creating an LLC? Is it really expensive or do people not do it because they're just not aware? I think there are a couple considerations that go into it. It's certainly not something that is a DIY project, right? I mean, yes, you could go online and find a draft operating agreement and what you need to file with New York State. Mm -hmm. I understand that. The, the problem when you're specifically talking about a family cottage is that there are so many emotional factors, day-to-day operating factors. Um, and then, of course, there are income tax implications, gift and estate tax implications. You really owe it to yourself and your family to sit down with someone who's skilled at doing this. And, mm. you know, that's where the estate planning attorney comes in. So it, this is just another investment. Right. So when you create this, mm-hmm. at this time, in this conversation, in this room where we're creating the LLC, yep. this is the point where we say, okay, what are we going to do with this property? What if one sibling wants to rent it and the other doesn't? These discussions are hashed out at this time? Right. Okay. Right. Yep. And if they really can't come to an agreement, you still use the operating agreement to say who who has that decision-making authority. Um, there's some You can have a member-managed LLC where all of the members who own units in it have a voice. You can also have a managed LLC. So that's fairly common if you're dealing with multiple generations where dad, mom, or dad and mom are the managers. So they get to decide what's happening. And then you can provide a mechanism for who would step in as the managers after. And then as we go down the Mm -hmm. generations, those managers change. change. Right. And so that's where... And it becomes very fluid, and it's easy to, easy in the sense that if you can have the, if everyone can have find an accord, you can change that agreement, right? Mm. And so, if you're just changing the agreement, we're not going back and filing new deeds. We don't have to get into title searches. It's all done privately. Okay. Right. So that's where something like that, even though you would think that just these deed transfers are the simple, easy way to go. Yeah. They're actually a little unwieldy. So creating that agreement and making sure it's fluid, um, maybe it's not the best analogy, but think about it. We have our, you know, U.S. Constitution, right? Hundreds of years, right? But it's a flexible document. So that's the idea when you create an entity and have this document. 
it's a flexible document. It's not locked in forever. It's not irreversible. The smart money strategy that you would leave for everybody is what? I would say treat these decisions as an investment and sit down with a professional who can really help you fine tune the conversation as well as any agreement that's going to come out of it Mm. and help you decide what is the best way. Maybe for your family, that straight deed transfer actually would work out just fine. But perhaps it's a situation where you really do need to look at something that's a little bit more sophisticated and consider the limited liability company. And at least by working with an actual expert, you'll get your questions answered and they'll tell you the questions that you need to ask. Yeah. You know, because that's that's the scary part, right? You don't know what you don't know. But sitting down with an expert who's done this and who actually has a practice in it and has worked with hundreds of families, they've been through this before. They know what to anticipate and they can help you guide that conversation and make an informed decision as opposed to just crossing your fingers and saying a prayer. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me as always. Next week on the Seven Figures podcast, she is known as the go-to gal. Jacqueline Malone joins the conversation, how to make connections that create opportunities. That will be next Friday. In the meantime, have a great weekend. And we say cheers to being financially confident women. If you have a personal finance question or feedback about the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to Sandy at Sandy at RochesterBuzz.com. New episode every Friday. Listen, subscribe, and tell a friend about the Seven Figures Podcast. Smart money strategies for women.